speaker. And we're really happy to have Tatiana Flores here with us. Um, she holds a uh, joint appointment with the Art History Department and the Department of Latino and Hispanic Caribbean uh, Studies at Rutgers University. She specializes in 20th century Latin American art and contemporary art. She's an active and independent curator and she's organized exhibitions on contemporary painting and Latin American art. And she has an upcoming book project called Art in Venezuela under Chavez. And this is a work in progress. But we're really happy to have you here to talk about this piece. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. And um, I just also like to preface this talk with um, uh, by telling you that one, I'm Venezuelan, so I have a close relation to uh, the work of uh, Jesus Rafael Soto. And also, I grew up in suburban Maryland, so I have a close relation to the, the museums and the Smithsonian just by um, from having been from the area originally. Now I live in New York. Um, I am very interested in the the work of Soto in through different points of view. I my first book project is on Mexican avant-garde art in the 20s, and my second book project, um, Ryan mentioned, is on uh, art in Venezuela under Chavez. And one of the things that structures my, the way that I approach art history in my research is the stories that get told about art objects. And often, in the case of um, art from Latin America, the way that it was excluded from the canon of art history. And now it's seeing a resurgence. It's this beautiful gallery attests. It's a gallery that has works by the Argentinian artist Julio La Park behind you, um, the Cuban artist Carmen Herrera on that wall, and she's a one wonderful uh, painter who produced the, I think she was probably the first Cuban abstractionist. She was in Paris in, um, right after World War II in the late 40s, another Soto on that wall. And so we are um, in a, uh, surrounded with geometric abstract art. And this is a major movement in Venezuela in the 1960s and 70s. And um, it, it is a movement that's really characterized by a, a purely abstract approach to the, the figure um, that often involves geometric repeating forms. And Soto, whose work you see behind, you'll notice that he is uh, a pioneer not only of abstract art, but specifically of kineticism. These, as you'll see, and maybe you, this is a time for you to move around the piece, or maybe yeah. you're already um, noticing the effect, but it's a piece that is really, um, kind of comes to life before your eyes. And I'm very happy to be here to talk about it in front of the piece, and it is a major piece as well. Because um, when I teach these objects, I often tell the students, well, you trust me, it vibrates, it shimmers, you have to be there. And, and so it's really fantastic to, to be here in front of this particular piece. A little bit of background on the artist. Um, he was born in um, Venezuela in Ciudad Bolivar in 1923. And um, he died uh, recently. I believe he died in 2005. And, um, and spent much of his career developing this uh, purely abstract visual language. Um, he was born in a rural area of Venezuela, not in the capital. And, and in the 20s, Venezuela um, as a whole was not a very cosmopolitan country, was sort of uh, beginning uh, to adopt to a more um, 
increasing modernity. The oil boom um, later in the century also helped to bring that about very rapidly. And so when Soto was growing up in this um, kind of, I don't want to call it a backwater, but definitely a very rural space um, uh, near the Amazon uh, uh, rainforest, he didn't have access to European works of art. And um, though he had showed early talents as a painter, really, um, uh, he, he supported himself actually as, by, uh, as a commercial painter for a while. And then in the 40s moved to Caracas to study art there. And when he got to Caracas, he started um, looking specifically at Cubism as a way to develop his visual language. And so Cubism was to him a very revolutionary um, uh, form and style of painting, which allowed him to think about abstraction, break up the form in very radical, very planar ways, and so uh, look at space. And even from his early years in Venezuela, he was very self-conscious of being in Venezuela away from the center of where everything was happening, which um, around that time was Paris and then New York. And he, he felt that there were significant gaps in his education. There was a Braque painting that he saw in person. He would look at magazines, but mostly um, didn't have access to the full scope of the history of early 20th century painting. So he goes to Paris um, uh, in, in the 1950s and is blown away by, by the variety of modern art that he sees there. And when we think about his, when, when he spoke about his work, he would often say, um, contrast the kind of Venezuela as being a not progressive, stuck in the past. He would even refer to it as primitive versus the cutting edge. And everything that he wanted to do and his ambition um, during this time was to create a visual language um, that was utterly new. And he, he started looking continued to look at Picasso, but also looked at the work of Malevich, of Paul Klee, um, Kandinsky's uh, work uh, that involved structure, uh, uh, Jean Arp and Sophie Tober Arp, in order to come to sort of realize a, a different kind of approach to form. It was interesting that uh, he and a group of artists, in fact, when he went to Paris, part of the motivation was that there were already Venezuelan artists living in Paris. Um, Alejandro Otero was one of them and others. And um, so he already had a pre-established community to go to. But when he, um, and as he was there, he became, um, uh, affiliated with a gallery called the Denise René Gallery, which is enormously influential in the 1950s in pioneering um, moving works of art. In fact, in 1955, he was part of an exhibition um, called Le Mouvement, the Mo Movement, um, which was taking as a point of departure uh, the, the uh, ability to make works of art um, uh, not just be static, but kind of come to life before your eyes. Uh, in that exhibition um, included Marcel Duchamp's roto-reliefs. These are uh, uh, these objects that, that uh, were movable, were kinetic objects that created illusions before your eyes. And that was something that um, uh, they took as a point of departure. And so really, the uh, um, 
Soto's rhetoric about his work during these early years was wanting to move forward, wanting to establish something completely new. Um, the, his first experiments with uh, movement were done on plexiglass, and he would uh, position two plexiglass together, one uh, with a kind of abstract image in the background and another one with uh, another, and then create movement by interacting or by moving or, or moving the plexiglass or having the, the spectator move before these pieces. And then eventually um, started working with metals and with uh, monochromes, uh, often involving lines. And the, the work behind you, you'll also see um, that he, he includes the, the black monochrome that, that's reminiscent of Malevich, for example. But then with this linear background, this is a work that also comes to life and shimmers before your eyes. And um, later in the uh, 60s, one of the things that began happening in his work, and this it, uh, piece is very emblematic of that, is that he incorporated architectural space into work. And so we see this um, enormous piece um, before us. And, but then from there, he would go on to make pieces that were penetrable, um, so that uh, not of, made of metal like this one, but of um, kind of plastic tubes that hung down, and people could actually penetrate the piece and make a direct connection between art and life, and art and architectural space. And so the work of Soto brings up a lot of different issues and questions. You know, why is he adopting abstraction as a visual language, for example? Um, on the one hand, he talks about wanting to, um, for art to move forward, but he also is striving to create a universal experience, an experience that involves subjective interaction with a work of art that is breaking down boundaries that you don't need um, an art history background to come to this piece and to enjoy the work. So, so one of the aspirations is a kind of uh, universality. And this is something that artists are, uh, a generation of artists are striving for in the um, 30s, 40s. Pete Mondrian is another important predecessor, an artist that um, Soto was looking at very carefully. And so, and you notice that these colors are very reminiscent of the neoplastic work of um, the artist Pete Mondrian, who worked in primary colors. And this yellow is quite similar, for, uh, for example, to Mondrian's yellow. And it's a consistent um, in, um, in Soto's body of work as well. So we have that, um, that sense of creating universality. We also have um, a sense of uh, moving forward. But there are also interesting things about the work that, um, that interest me very particularly. And that has to do with the afterlife of the work. Soto was very much embraced um, during his time. He had a solo show at the Guggenheim around 1970. He um, made a splash in Paris. And I think that in Paris, he has never gone out of style. But his reception in the United States was quite a different story. Um, in fact, uh, because the visual language in the US at the time of the post-war is uh, different. It's an abstract expressionism more so than geometric abstraction. The, uh, his work didn't bode so well in terms of the narratives of art constructed in this country. And so for a long time, it was seen in very negative terms. And so when I was going to grad school, actually, um, the, the professors 
often would um, consider it extremely minor. Um, it, it was not considered. There's a lot of negative writing around kinetic art and geometric abstraction. And I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with that part of the story. But it's a part that really interests me because now there's, uh, it's seen a resurgence. And we're having this conversation in the museum right now. Um, and, and so that the, the misfortunes of Soto and then the rise of Soto are issues that deeply interest me. Part of the reason that the work didn't um, appeal in the kind of narrative of art history in this country was, again, because of um, abstract expressionism as being seen as this heroic assertion uh, of um, American identity. And then there was a big uh, shift in the art world right around the end of World War II where um, the most advanced art is taking place. In, and I said that in air quotes for the podcast. Um, the most advanced uh, art is taking place in, um, in New York and not Paris. And so what's happening in Paris is actually uh, regressive or decorative or not as important. And so um, I had a conversation with an art historian who told me that um, at the time, uh, geometric art was seen as the epitome of a minor art. And, um, but today, it's, uh, it's being reintegrated into the nar narrative of art history. And that, uh, I think, has a lot to do with um, uh, the role, the active role that collectors are playing in defining and, and bringing to light some of these movements. Um, but it also speaks to the question of multiple narratives, of allowing there to be more than one narrative. And so Soto's progressivist approach to the object um, is something that maybe worked against him w w during the misfortunes of, of the, the reception of, of geometric and kinetic art in the United States. He's calling forth, this is an art that moves forward, this is coming. Um, and he would often, in his um, interviews and uh, uh, dialogues, talk about how in Venezuela there was uh, no art scene, there was nothing. and then. Then came Soto and his contemporaries. And so that's another part of the story that's really interesting, that because this artist made such a splash in Paris, he was welcomed in Venezuela with open arms and, um, and suddenly started receiving commissions, started being collected and, um, and pushed as a, an artist who was absolutely at the cutting edge, at the forefront of modernity. Here is our representative, our Venezuelan representative of art in Paris and, um, and who is showing the world how uh, sophisticated Venezuelans can really be. This kind of progressivist uh, attitude, it coincides both with Soto's rhetoric about his work, but also with Venezuela's place in the world in the 1960s, 70s. Um, Venezuela experienced an enormous oil boom. Um, uh, there suddenly money started to flow in the country. And a um, country that was extremely self-conscious about its um, status as uh, third world or as a kind of backwater um, suddenly became very ambitious. And so in Venezuela, beginning in the 50s, there is an incredible rise of construction. Modernism takes hold. Um, the, the, the city of Caracas especially is um, uh, sponsoring projects that are 
also going along with the lines of um, Soto's philosophy about his work, that art can improve the lives of people, that art can be universal. And so we also have concurrently the creation of massive um, architectural projects in a modernist style like superblocks inspired by Le Corbusier um, that are, were advocating, one, a, a geometric language, but also that this living within these communities could actually improve your lot in life. And, and furthermore, that Venezuela was extremely advanced or was becoming very uh, advanced because of its modernity. And so there's a lot of um, uh, interest now in, in scholarship in Venezuela's modernity and what exactly did that mean. And that scholarship becomes much more significant in light of recent events in Venezuela, and uh, especially the advent of President Hugo Chavez, who was elected in 1998 um, and, and continues to preside over Venezuela. The word, the, um, President Chavez is very interested uh, has become very interested in preserving the legacy of, uh, of Soto specifically, but that was not always the case. And so for a long time, um, one major piece by Soto that is in every art history, at least a Venezuelan art book, um, was a sphere. It was a yellow sphere, much like this yellow, that hung or, or that was uh, placed on a highway in a prominent um, uh, highway in Caracas. And, um, and eventually it started to deteriorate. People stole the individual bars that made it up, the little poles, and then it was nothing. It was just a shell. And this was um, taken as emblematic in the um, early 2000s of Chavez's disdain for culture and his desire to reinvent Venezuela in a completely different way. But um, more recently, there have been very high profile restorations of geometric abstract work in Venezuela. And so Soto Sphere underwent a $100 million restoration. Um, and it has a, hard, uh, a very state-of-the-art security system. And, um, it's, and then the, the government has um, made very prominent its uh, newfound support of Soto's work. And um, also, the, um, as well as his, uh, the work of his contemporaries, who were uh, seen as um, in, in as important as he, and I'm talking again about Alejandro Otero and Carlos Cruz Diez, another um, important Venezuelan artist. And so, um, so more recently, the Chavez government, who had begun, the, the government had begun in, um, in a very ambivalent relation to the arts, and um, in, along with the deterioration of these uh, works of art was the deterioration of museum spaces and thefts very prominent thefts in museums. Um, a uh, statue of Columbus was uh, dismantled and broken into pieces before the police, and nothing um, was done about it at the time. But currently, that statue is being restored. And so the, the Chavez government is embracing the legacy of the arts in Venezuela. But it's a legacy that is, um, if, if I were a representative of the government, I would um, also uh, call attention to how problematic it is to, um, to, to revive a legacy that involved um, the, the relation that, thinking about the relations of, um, of Venezuela always in terms of, um, 
urban centers in Europe and particularly in Paris. Um, because another thing that the Chavez administration wants to do is to push forward national identity. But there is um, something about this work that speaks of, um, of its distance from the place of the artist uh, that the artist originally came from. Now geometric abstraction has become the um, the visual language that is most associated with Venezuelan art and a source of pride. It has always been since its advent. Um, but it also speaks about a uh, detachment from the problems that were happening at the time. A very well-known critic named Marta Traba, who was Argentinian and lived in Caracas in the 1970s, called attention to how these objects uh, by Soto and his contemporaries were uh, defining a corporate brand in Venezuela. They would be placed in banks, they would be placed in these corporate buildings. And so, so there was a disconnect between the reality of Venezuela at the time uh, that was mired in um, uh, increasing poverty uh, in, and in enormous disparities of wealth and the, the world that these objects put forth, a world um, that was progressive, a world that put Venezuela in the cutting edge. Um, and so when you go to Caracas now, for example, one of the deep ironies of this movement is that the, the, um, the, those super block architectural buildings that were intended to change the world are now some of the most dangerous places in Caracas. Uh, there's huge amount of um, crime, drugs, um, and, uh, and you, you go there at your own risk um, unless you're a resident there. And, um, and so the, this art also speaks in, in some ways about that disconnect. And, um, and you, it, when you think about the question of whether art can change the world, um, certainly it was, uh, it's at, uh, at the back of um, the minds of artists who were trying to create art as a universal language, um, but also wonder how effective is abstraction. On the one hand, it is something that we can all enjoy on a... Um, on a perceptual level, and that that, um, uh, but but how effective is it as a visual language in creating social change? And so th those are the questions that this object um, and Soto's uh, body of work in general raised to me in the light of recent events in Venezuela. Well, thank you very much. Thank for you. Us this today. was a lot of fun. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That was terrific. Oh, great! I'm glad. Thanks. <laughs> thank you.